Smartcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As I was learning about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and really doing a deep dive into it, I started recognizing, oh, I do this, I do that. Oh, that sounds like me too. And I ended up having a conversation with my mother about, did you drink while you carried me? Welcome to the Liberated Healer Podcast, where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality, energetic healing, and everything in between and beyond. Take an adventure on a shooting star with your host, Gina, and offering their wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. Hi, everybody. Uh, Gina Cavalier. I'm the host of the Liberated Healer Podcast. And um, I love informative episodes that take me in a whole new direction. And that's why I was so drawn to talk to Patricia Casper. Um, She is a a neurobehavioral coach and trainer who's passionate about supporting those affected with fetal alcohol syndrome disorder, FASD. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, Yeah, I, I read your book, Sip by Sip. Um, which is a candid conversations with people diagnosed with um, this a disorder. And I thought it was interesting because your name's Patricia, like my mom. But one of your first conversations was between Patty and Gina, which I thought was funny because that's how my mom and I, and I was like, oh, okay, this, yeah. this is a guided <laughs> a little thing for me. <laughs> um, surreal but, parallel universe. Yeah. <laughs> And um, so I want to go into a little bit of how you got steered into this direction, but yeah. but also um, when you really break down, um, especially the physical attributes um, about how kids in foster care uh, are primarily, you know, have this affliction, how it affects mm-hmm. the community and we go on from there. Sure. So I... Um... When I lived back east, I was a therapist. When I came to California, all the laws and licensing is so different here that I flipped back over to social work, which is where I actually started my career. And um, I've been working for the past 24 years, 25 years in child welfare. And um, yeah, 25 years in child welfare. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But I was always one to take, you know, deep dive trainings oh, and things that would. I'm sorry, there's some a lot of scraveling going on. That's oh, my puppy. Yeah, but it's like clapping and it's it's making it's going to be really hard to. He's he's chewing a cardboard box. Let me um, get him out of my office. Let's start again. I'm sorry, but it will distract people. <laughs> yeah, car- cardboard boxes are much better than shoes yeah, yes. and electrical cords. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, let me get them out of the office. Yeah, people will just check out if the sound Yeah, right. no okay. problem. Buddy boy, what you doing? Can we work on this somewhere else? Come on. Let's work on this in the, in the bedroom. Hopefully That's a good idea, though, if ever get a puppy again. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully he won't start scratching on the box or on the door. But Okay. Yeah, I've had to just cancel interviews. Oh, cute. Yeah. <laughs> he just turned 16 or six months. We just got oh. him neutered and life is quite the adventure with George. Oh, I know, right? Okay, we can just start over. Totally fine. Introduce yourself. Okay. One, two, three. Go ahead. Hi. So um, I started in foster care when I moved to California. I had been a therapist when I lived back east. And one of the things that I always did here was to deep dive into trainings that would make me a better supporter of the kids and the families on my caseload. And so I, I did a deep dive into trauma. I became a trust-based relational intervention practitioner, which was far better than anything else I had come across, but it wasn't enough. And so I ended up um, having a conversation with someone who said, you know, if you looked at FASD or fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, because they're really huge in this community. And so I ended up becoming a certified facilitator of FACETS neurobehavioral program. And FACETS is fetal alcohol spectrum consultation education training services. They're um, in Canada and Portland area. They're kind of, most of the practitioners are up in there. Um, but as I was learning about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and really doing a deep dive into it, I started recognizing, oh, I do this, I do that. Oh, that sounds like me too. And I ended up having a conversation with my mother about, did you drink while you carried me? And she's like, oh yeah, every day. Cause it was the sixties, nobody knew any better back then. Uh, fetal alcohol syndrome wasn't discovered until 1973. It's, you know, it's been around as long as alcohol is, so 10,000 years or more. Um, but it was discovered as a thing worthy of academic study and medical study um, in 1973 by Dr. Ken Jones and uh, another doctor he was working with. So... That really flipped the script for me. It was a very powerful, intense, year-long training that changed me both professionally and personally, obviously, with the discovery that I am on the syndrome, on the spectrum. And, you know, 
the prevalence rate is one in 20 people okay. have, have brain injuries from prenatal exposure to alcohol. So that's over twice the rate for autism. Now we hear about autism all the time. We don't really hear about FASD or when we do, it's outdated information or it's things that pop up on your search engine queries that, that are without the context. Right? Like there's one that says the average life expectancy is 34. Well, that's without the context. It was one study. It was a very small study. And to get that average, it would include kids that die, you know, in childbirth or very, or SIDS, you know, very young. It would include people like myself. You know, I discovered this when I was 56. I'm 60 now. Um, you know, in fact, in, and for that book, I interacted with so many people that figured it out when they were in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Wow. Um, yeah. And even one person that I interviewed uh, was 69 when he figured it out. Wow. So now, I wonder if it's partially because, you know, this is something that affects, you know, maybe I'm trying to search for the word, um, you know, persons that, like you said, there's a high number in foster care, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, we don't put a lot of emphasis on the people that are suffering, you know, the homelessness yeah. and, the, and yeah. people in foster care. And all of a sudden, if we came together as a community, we have enough money to actually help everybody. We really yeah. do. Yeah. So one of the stats is that 30% of California's homeless have FASD. Oh, wow. Um, individuals with FASD are 30 times more likely to be involved with the criminal justice system. And is that because we are inherently bad people? No, not at all. What we are is very gullible. <laughs> we have an issue with suggestibility because we have um, our social IQ can be damaged, right? Our ability to really understand people's true intents um, so, and, and we're people pleasers. So the, put those two things together and we can end up in a world of hurt, right? And take the fall. Oftentimes people in the criminal justice system are there because they were set up to be the fall guy mm -hmm. by the masterminds of whatever the crime is. Um, and the other piece of that is, um, we, people with neurodivergence, no matter what the cause, we tend to do better where there's more structure. And so that's a very structured environment, right? So we can actually do very well in, in a prison setting, simply because it's very structured. There's not a lot of choices. It's very routine. You know, things out of the routine don't happen that often. Um, and just... I thought it was interesting that when I started looking into it too, their face has a look to it and you can look it up online if you want to see a picture of it, but just type it in and you will, it is actually very recognizable. There's like a flat, uh, a section yeah, under the filter. The filter is flat and can be longer uh -huh. and next to no upper lip. And then the eye openings can be smaller. So I have the eyes. But the other signs I never had. Now, here's the thing, Gina. 
only 10% of people on the spectrum have FAS. What you described, people who have the face have the full FAS, right? Fetal alcohol syndrome, as opposed to spectrum. So FAS is one diagnosis under that umbrella of fetal alcohol spectrum, and it's only 10%. And if you've ever seen a child um, with this being born, it's heartbreaking. You know, mm-hmm. coming into this world where, um, you know, even on drugs or anything like that, coming into the world addicted to something, and ha- that is a really hard life path yeah. to choose. Yeah. And we, they really need to be set up for long-term care. And um, so what is, what is sort of your mission with all, all of this I, to help? I, I don't know that long-term care is the answer so okay. much as it is awareness of the community at large, because up to 70% of kids in foster care or adopted through foster care are affected by FASD. Yes. But that's only a small portion of all of us. Yeah. Right. And one of the reasons it's so prevalent in foster care is because people with FASD tend to have a lot of adverse childhood experiences. If you've ever done a show on ACEs, right. Mm -hmm. And people with a lot of ACEs also happen to drink. (laughs) So it's it's like a a vicious circle. Right. And when you have adverse childhood experiences, you have foster care. Yes, absolutely. Coming into the system for abuse or neglect, um, certainly addictions play into that. And one of the reasons why sometimes parents are not always able to get their kids back out of the system is because perhaps they themselves have FASD from what their parents had been doing. Yeah. We all know that alcohol and other drugs tends to go down generations you know, we do what we see done in our families. Um, so it, it's perfectly logical that the damage that we see in this youngest generation would also be occurring in the older generations. So <clears throat> basically, alcohol is a solvent, right? It's it's a chemical. It would never, you know, if we were to try and pass it through the FDA, as a beverage or as a um, as a drug, it would never pass because it does way too much damage. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a solid. FDA is you know it doesn't. I didn't ever even thought about that. We yeah. alcohol has never had to go through the FDA, which is because they're not the ones that regulate it. Oh, wow! Right? It's the firearms, tobacco, and alcohol is the ATF. Okay. It's a different government branch, right? But the yeah. truth is all they care about are their licenses with the state stores and the and the distributors. Mm-hmm. They're really not looking at the product. Yep. Well, I mean, I've had a lot of brain doctors on the show about t- and talking about alcohol and how it's a poison and yeah. how it really affects us and um, yeah. you know, so with yeah. so so it's a solvent and it, so it goes through everything. And that's why it actually does more damage to a developing baby than heroin or methamphetamine or whatever else that's on the illegal side of things because it's a solvent, it gets everywhere. And the other piece of it is we don't have a liver for several weeks. 
So that's how alcohol is metabolized is through the liver. And even when the babies do have their livers, they don't have the enzyme that an adult liver uses, produces and uses to break down alcohol. But where you can find that enzyme in a baby is in their brain. So that's where all of it gets broken down and those toxins are released and do all their damage, killing nerve cells, um, causing detours in the structure of things. And if you change the structure of a brain or any other organ for that matter, you change the way it functions. And so with these kiddos, you see a variety of effects. No two people are the same. And that's because there's so many factors. Where in the pregnancy were you when the alcohol, when you had the alcohol, right? You know, a few minutes ago, you brought up the face and that's, you only have those facial changes if the alcohol is consumed on days 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, five days. Really? Outside of that, the days before day 19, the days after 21, you still have tons of damage to whatever in the body is being formed or developed at the time. Man. Wow. I, okay. I didn't know that you don't have a liver or why you're in womb. Well, you do eventually, but there's a whole lot of alcohol being consumed up to when the liver is formed. Okay. Well, that's, you know, you don't think about these things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so is, is a brain formed earlier on than, okay. Yeah. The, the very first two things that come on board is your, um, your, your gut system. Yeah, you talk about the gut, the gut brain health access and, and health system. That's because those are the first two systems that come on. It's the gut and it's the, the nervous system, the brain. And the brain never stops developing, right? Even until, you know, we're 25 years after birth, we're still developing. <laughs> you know, and alcohol also goes through the milk. So it continues to do damage even after birth. So because it goes through everything in mom's body, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And so you have to go one-on-one with these individuals um, that have often found out that this is their life journey right now mm -hmm. and um, try to help, help them as much as possible. What are some of the so, reactions? What, what I do as a coach is I sit down with people and I methodically go through how was the way that their brain works affected. Mm -hmm. I look at the effects of, you know, how they communicate, what's challenging for them. Um, I look at, for instance, um, a lot of people, there, there's a difference between receptive language skills and, and expressive language skills. Okay. We tend to judge people and, and our interactions with them based on their expressive language skills, right? How well can they talk? And if a child is very precocious and talks a lot and uses big words, we're taken so off guard by that. We just, oh, how smart. 
but we don't bother to check in to see where is their receptive language development. Mm -hmm. Just because they can parrot things doesn't mean they understand things. Mm, interesting. Receptive. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And if a child's in an environment with a lot of old, you know, with a lot of adults and, and less time with a lot of peers, then they're going to pick up those larger words at a much younger age. Okay. Right? So they're going to parrot very well. So just because we can use words, even in context, doesn't mean that we actually know what it means. Another thing is that we tend to be concrete thinkers, right? And so we use language very concretely, which seems to be, for the most part, if you open a Webster's, the very first definition is the concrete one. Okay. Right. Um, for instance, where I grew up, there were several local, it was a colloquialism, even in the city I grew up in, only certain neighborhoods used the phrase, but there was a phrase about redding up your room. What do you think that means, Gina? I don't know. Making it ready for company. Oh, okay. Cleaning it up. Yeah. Right? But if I were a concrete thinker, and or if my child was, and I told my child, go red up your room, I better hope there's no red paint in my garage. Mm -hmm. I see. I'm going to make it red. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. So there can be a lot of... Um, there can be a lot of conflict in the home or at school based on just misunderstandings from that area alone. Um, it's also very hard to process abstract concepts. So, okay, what's concrete and what's abstract? If you can hold it in your hand and manipulate it, like I have this tube of lipstick, I can manipulate this and figure out what it is, how it works. If I can't do that, then it's abstract. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of concepts that we all engage with every day that are extremely abstract, like time, money, yeah. um, boundaries, math, right? That's why so many people with FASD really struggle with math. Um, you know, there's just so much involved right there that can make things very challenging for youth with FASD. And then the smarter kids in the class are going to be like, what's wrong with you that you can't figure this out? Yeah. <laughs> There's also a lot of issues with memory, right? It can interfere with our ability to file information away in the memory banks. Mm -hmm. And it can interfere with our being able to get information out of the memory banks, right? So we can work all day on our times table and get it. And the next day, you know, it, it's just kind of like watching that movie, 50 First Dates. <laughs> yeah. It's just gone. And having on and off days is another classic feature of FASD. So things that we can do one day, we might not be able to do another. And there's enough wherewithal to recognize I don't I can't always do things that that I know I can do. And it's very frustrating, it leads to a lot of anxiety. And, you know, I know your your show is really geared toward mental health. Can you get an idea why people with FASD have such high rates of anxiety and depression and suicide? Absolutely. 
because they're not understood. I used to, I used to drink a lot more when I was younger because I was very social and that was my world. And, um, mm-hmm. I was a people pleaser and I, I wanted to have people around me all the time. So I didn't feel alone and, um, that, but anyways, I really have noticed, I used to th- think that I was kind of not smart, <laughs> I guess is another word, because I really had a hard time um, formulating different uh, long-term situations and memories, and and I really assumed that that was me. And now I, I do it a lot less, like a lot less. And um, I, I have... I can hold things a lot more. I can, you know, it, it's just, I can t- like 20 years later, I, I am so much better than I was back then. So mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that alcohol affects you even now, yeah. like immensely, immensely. Yeah. And how you're, if you, if you're having a hard time struggling to remember things or to kind of move through things, look at your consumption of those things in your life. Yeah. I guess too, Because yeah. it's well, really. Yeah. And I, and I would also say, look at sleep. Right. Now, that's not my my guru area. Right. But, you know, one of the guests on my podcast um, is he has so many certificates. It's crazy. But his what he said, the bottom line of a recent episode on sleep was no matter what your issue, if it's a mental health, if it's physical health, if you're having any issues at all, look at your sleep, get yeah. better sleep. Definitely. If you want better health get better sleep because it affects everything. So much happens in our brains and our bodies when we're resting. It's kind of like, you know, with trees, their busiest growth season is actually in the winter when the rest of us think the trees are dormant because we don't see any signs of life, but that's when they're doing their hardest work. And it's the same thing with us when we're sleeping. Our our computer, if you will, is rebooting everything. Absolutely. From our, from our hormones to setting our memories from short-term file banks, file cabinet over to the long-term file cabinet. Absolutely. So, so all yeah. that stuff. And, and going back to the foster care, you know, if you're a child in foster care and you've learned the hard way to sleep with one eye open to stay safe then that interferes with your sleep. It makes it very challenging to sleep lifelong. Yep. And that interferes with memory and everything else. Yeah, but I've had lifelong sleep issues. Uh, I was woken up in the middle of the night a lot when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So I never got long periods of sleep and no, no schedule or anything like that. And yeah. I still have to work on it all the time. I have all kinds of things I have to set up you know, calm room, you know, a little bit of quiet music. I mean, just to kind of get in there and to kind of hopefully sleep without waking up. Um, anyways, I'd like to, when, when people that you're working with kind of find out for the first time that they have this, maybe Mm -hmm. they didn't even ever consider, I'm sure there's a period of, um, you know, anxiousness or sadness that comes over them, but do they feel, do they feel like with this awareness, they can take on a, a positive spin for the most part it brings relief yeah it does bring anger it brings sadness it brings um you know a lot of a lot of questioning like how could i not have known this you know and also it brings a lot of anger at the parents right how how could you not know this is harmful but you know a generation before yeah they didn't know you know that 
I'll, I'll never forget the surprise in my mom's voice when I asked her, did she drink when she carried me? The, her tone of voice conveyed the question, doesn't everybody? Because okay. that's what was normal back then. And I am not alone in saying that the predominant um, emotional response to figuring this out is relief. Because if there's no explanation about why things are hard for us that are easy for so many other people, you know, we, we tend to internalize the judgments passed on to us from others. Are you stupid? You can't figure that out, right? You're no good. You're a liar. You're this, you're, you're awful. You're going to fail. You're, you're doomed, whatever it is. We tend to internalize that. And then by finding out it's not us, it's the alcohol that gave, that gave us brain injuries before we were born. We're not responsible for it. Right. Well, because if we, you know, if, you know I, I, that's why I do this show with all this awareness, you know, we start to yeah. see that each person has their own set of things yeah. and just let's work with whatever they have. And that, that's so different from the way it was. And it mm -hmm. still is, is like that. I mean, we have people are just automatically judgment and criticizing. Mm -hmm. So, but they're, they're starting to take a step back and looking person at a, as a whole, which I yeah. love being a part of that community because yes. when you start telling a kid at like five and six, you know, you're stupid. Like, why can't you get this? And, and you see it because I remember I felt it, you know, I was, I actually set myself up with, Oh, I'm going to have to stay. I'm here. Like I'm never mm -hmm. going to be able, I didn't even challenge myself to go to college or even though I really mm -hmm. wanted to, I already had it in my mind that I wasn't going to be able to do it. Yeah. From all the years of people telling me that I wasn't, yeah. I had to flip that, but that is really hard to do when everybody's telling you yeah. your whole life, you can't go to yeah. school. You'll never be a published author. You'll never do this and that. And it, I finally switched it. And now I'm, mm -hmm. that's why I'm so excited about being published is more about telling myself that I could do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but <clears throat> important that we look at every being as a whole and see what would happen and where we can help them. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. And if you look at FASD on, on any search engine, you, there's so much gloom and doom, right? There are so many horrible, scary outcomes, um, you know, like the homelessness, like, in, you know, re repeated incarcerations. 90% um, are affected with a mental illness of some sort or another, um, predominantly anxiety and depression. Um, for good reason, because all of our lives were blamed and shamed and oftentimes punished for things that we do that are not of our choosing. People think that we're choosing to do the things we are, but it's because of our prenatal brain injuries. Do you know and, what the statistics are with on um, suicidal rates in this category? Or um, I don't know what the current stats are. Um, I know that it is a path that many people take, but, and, and that's part of the importance of public awareness yeah. of saying, you know, yes, those are outcomes, but those outcomes tend to come true if the person is not properly supported, right? Because this is, even though I don't like the term disability, it is a disability in the sense that our society is not at a place where it's going to embrace neurodiversity yet. 
no. we're all on an equal playing field. So until that happens, it is an invisible disability, right? So, and everyone's affected differently, which makes it more confusing. Mm-hmm. We can't, if you know one person with FASD, you know one person with FASD because we're all different. We all have, you know, every individual has their unique combination of challenges, strengths, and learning preferences. And you put those three things together and it's unique as your fingerprint. Yeah. Wow. And so there, you can't set up things, you know, we can't create just another round hole for someone to drive a peg into. Yeah. And we're not even talking about the people that have ideation, not, you know, not Mm -hmm. attempt or anything. They can live their entire life with, um, you know, bubbling at the surface, suicidal ideation when things aren't going well. And that's not mm-hmm. a good life to live the whole time, you know? Right. Right. And it's, it's living with that, that mask of happiness. Right. And, and people who are neurodivergent are very good at wearing masks. Mm-hmm. You know, with FASD, we're very good at wearing masks and <clears throat> depending on our different strengths that can make it even easier for some of us. You know, intellectually, I'm very much in the gifted range. So that challenges the notion that if you have FASD, you're going to be borderline mentally retarded, right? I hate that phrase. And it's just not true. You know, the the IQ range is anywhere from 20, which is abysmally low, to 130 on the high end. Mine's even higher than that, but I wasn't part of that study, so... You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. All over the place. Uh, I want to just bring up this book again, Sip yeah. by Sip. Um, it is really beautifully ca- candid conversations with people diagnosed with adults with fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Patricia, uh, uh, for putting this together and being a champion for. I know this is a really hard area to be a champion in. Yeah. I. We really appreciate it. And is there anything you kind of want to leave with that you're want to? Um, well, let me let me just say one thing. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that we're one in twenty people, right? But our diagnostic rate is zero point zero one percent, which is abysmal. And that means, and we and you don't outgrow it. You will always have. You know, if your brain has been injured, it's injured. Yeah. And all we can do is put accommodations in place to, to do workarounds, right? So that means that 99% of us are walking around not understanding our struggles in life are tied to our brain injuries. Yeah. Right? We, most of us don't even know that we have brain injuries. <laughs> and so that's who the book is for. You know, it's a story of 10 different people, myself included, um, about what what led us to question whether FASD was the explanation for us, what it was like adjusting to that. And then, you know, learning about FASD is one of those things that once it's once you get it, you're forever changed. There's no unknowing it. And so most of us go on to be active in the advocacy space. Um, So if you can think of people in your family, your neighborhood, your social circles who have always struggled and never figured out 
what's wrong with them or why, no matter how hard they try, then pick up a book for them. Maybe they will figure out this might be my answer as well. And then they can go explore that in their journey. Um, Certainly I am available for coaching and professional development training, community development training. Um, But I also have a podcast living with FASD. If you want to learn more, uh, then that's an excellent place to go. It's on YouTube or Spotify, Audible, Spotify and YouTube. It's video everywhere else. It's audible. Okay. Well, thank you. We're going to link everything below so people can find you easily. Thank you so much for your service to your community. And it's been really informative and uh, for people that I I hope that, you know, wish everybody well in their journey. And thank you. Please like, share and subscribe if you can, please. I need some help with that. I appreciate your help. Thank you so much, Patricia. Thank you for having me, Gina. This has been the Liberated Healer Podcast. Podcast. Podcast.